Gresham College presents Symposium Mortality Past and Present Using Mortality to Compare the Health of Populations by Professor James Vorpal, Max Planck Institute for Demographic Research, Rostock. So, uh, what I would like to talk about is uh, I want to follow up on one of Grunt's interests was to use mortality to understand health conditions, to try to get a deeper understanding of health conditions. And how can we use mortality to sh uh, shed light on health? And how can we use mortality to compare the health of different populations? And this is something I've gotten into recently. So this is, I've never given this speech before, although uh, a couple of the slides I've used before. The, the, uh, let me start with a slide I have used before. This is, on the vertical axis, we have risk of death for Swedish females, and on the horizontal axis, age from 30 to 90. And here's the uh, trajectory of Swedish death rates, uh, Swedish female death rates in 1950. It's on a log scale, and so the line is approximately straight because mortality goes up exponentially. So this is what females, females, uh, Swedish females experienced in 1950. And here's what happened in 1980, and here's what happened in the year 2010. And what you can see is the lines are shifting over. They're, they're more or less parallel. There's a little bit of convergence, but they're more or less parallel and they're shifting over. So we're not uh, extending uh, longevity. We're not increasing life expectancy by slowing down the rate of aging. The slopes are roughly the same of these lines. We're increasing uh, lifespan by postponing senescence, by postponing mortality to higher and higher ages. And we can see this in, if you take a look, for example, at the age in which the chance of death is 1%. And let me suggest this might be called the age in which a person enters the realm of older individuals. When you, you, have to start, you have to start worrying about death when it gets above 1%. And in 1950, for Swedish females, it was age 57. And in 1980, it was age 63. So a six-year delay in the age when you become older. And in 2010, it's 68, so further five-year delay. So altogether, an 11-year delay in the age in which you become an older person. And this is an 11-year delay in a 60-year period, so really quite a remarkable postponement of senescence. And the, I would, let me now show this similar information, but for several different countries. Here we have current age, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, and the age of equivalent mortality 50 years ago in different countries. So if you look at, uh, no, I don't know how this thing works, but the, the, I just use my hand. If you look at the French and let's say age 70, I have it in bold. So French females who are 70 years old today have the same chance of death that French females who were 59 years old had 50 years ago. And the same thing is true for the men. So there's been an 11 year shift in the, 11-year uh, delay, age 59, 50 years ago, is the same as 70 today. So 70 is the new 59, okay? And, the, 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 uh, and this has major implications for retirement policy. The, the French have been reluctant to raise the age of retirement, but you can see that they should. And the, 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 uh, and the same thing is true for France at other ages. 50 is you know, compared to 42. 90 is the new 83, and so on. And the same thing is true for other countries and for men as well as for women. And on average, if you take the, uh, the shift in equivalent age 
across all these countries and ages, it's a, about a decade, about 10 years on average. So in 50 years, senescence or aging has been postponed by about 10 years. Now, uh, the, if we look at, uh, again, we look at France and we look at the age in which there's a 1% chance of death, both for men and for women, and we look at this from 1950 to 2010, you can see that the age in which there's a 1% chance of death has gone from 57.3 up to 71 over this time period. Before I showed you 1960 versus 2010, this is 1950 versus 2010. And we can also look at the age in which the chance of death is 10%. This is when you really have to start worrying about mortality. And, uh, and that shifted up from 80.1 to 88.4 for the French females. And then what I did is I calculated the, the gap between the age in which you have a 1% chance of death and the age when you have a 10% chance of death, and I called that old age. And you can see that the duration of old age has gone down from about 22.8 years to 17.4 years. There's been some compression of the period of old age. And then on the top, I calculated remaining life expectancy for people who reached the age in which the chance of death was 10%, so people who entered uh, the realm of advanced old age. And in 1950, people who reached 80.1 had six more years of life on average. And in 19, uh, 2010, people who reached advanced old age at 88.4 had uh, uh, six more, not quite six more years of life. So the, the, the span of advanced old ages has been about six years, and that is, but that has shifted up to higher and higher ages. So there's been this delay in the, in the delay in old age, a, some compression in the length of old age, a delay in advanced old age, and advanced old age has been compressed a little bit, but not much. And the same thing is true for, uh, for men. But the men, you may notice, experience a longer period of old age, and that's because they reach the age in which death rate is 1% much earlier than women do, in large part because of reckless behavior. But the period of advanced old age is similar for men and for and again, for the men, it's shifted up. So the, uh, here I have these durations of advanced old age for different countries. So uh, for the UK, we take the UK as an example, is females, and the life expectancy, this first column is life expectancy when your chance of death is 10%. So X10 is the age when your chance of death is 10%, and E is life expectancy, so remaining life expectancy when your chance of death is 10%. And so you can see in the UK in 1960, it was about six years. And for the UK, the most recent data we have was about six years, 5.9 years, for the women. And for the men, it was also about six years, 6.3 and 6.1. And France, USA, Japan, Russia, Belarus, I, I picked Russia and Belarus as countries that are not doing particularly well, where mortality is actually going up instead of going down. But for all of these countries, the duration of advanced old age is about you know, roughly six, roughly six years, a little bit longer uh, in some countries, but roughly six years. So, the, so the, there appears to be a, a more or less constant, more research has to be done on this, but there appears to be a more or less constant period of old age if you define advanced old age, if you define this as life expectancy when you reach the age when uh, chance of death is 10%. Now, I want to emphasize that, so my, my base, the basic point of my talk is going to be that we can use uh, ages of equivalent mortality as a measure of ages of equivalent health, 
that's my basic argument. But I want to emphasize at the very beginning that this is rough. This is a, I think it's serviceable, but very rough. And the, the, uh, so here uh, I have some Danish data on how long you live with long-term disability and without long-term disability. The orange is long-term disability. And the definition of long-term disability is you can't take care of yourself. You need somebody to help you take care of yourself. And this is for women. And you can see that in 1987, women had altogether about 11 years of life left when they turned 75, but most of those years of life were years of disability. That over time, life expectancy has gone up a little bit, but, and the years of disability have gone down a little bit, the years of uh, non-disability, disability-free life have gone up a little bit, so there's been a real improvement. So the, the, uh, there's a, health has changed in a complicated way, more complicated than suggested by the simple change in mortality. So, so I want to emphasize that I think mortality is a rough measure of health, but underlying this is more complicated changes. And let me show you males uh, to emphasize how, that it's really more complicated than simple measures of mortality. The, the, men, uh, the men live shorter than the women, but the men spend fewer years in, disabled, in a disabled state. They have uh, fewer years of, with uh, long-term disability. And they have more years. Look, look at 2005. The men have 6.2 years of life without long-term disability, whereas the women only have 5.9 years of life. So the women live longer at 65, but the extra years of life are years of disability. So there's a, there's a sex difference, a gender difference between men and women. And you just can't, you can't take... Um, the age in which male mortality reaches 1% and the age where female mortality reaches 1% and say that men and women are equally healthy at those two ages, is there are major differences between the two sexes. So I, I want you to bear that in mind as a caveat, but, but again, I, as a rough measure, I think uh, more equivalent, ages of equivalent mortality are a good measure of ages of equivalent health. So uh, Sergei Sherboff and Warren Sanderson and others uh, in Vienna have, have been working on this, have done a lot of pioneering work on this, and they've suggested that we use uh, remaining life expectancy, ages of equivalent remaining life expectancy, as a measure of equivalent uh, age, rather than ages of equivalent mortality. And what I tried to do here, it's not a very clear diagram, I'm afraid, but in, in the top, I look at uh, France and Sweden over time, men and women, and I plot ages of equivalent mortality on the top panel, ages of equivalent uh, remaining life expectancy on a period basis, and ages of equivalent life expectancy on a cohort basis. And you can see you get different pictures of what equivalent ages are depending on what measure you use. And the, the uh, using ages of equivalent mortality attracts current conditions much better. If you look at cohort uh, life expectancy, it's much smoother, but these trends are much smoother. So you get, so I also want to emphasize there's different ways to think about equivalent ages. You want to, do you want to think as equivalent age that when you have a 1% chance of death, is that two time periods, 1% chance of death at age 60 and one time period, 1% chance of death at age 70, the later time period, are those equivalent ages? Or do you want to think about how many years of life do you have left? And if you measure how many years of life you have left, do you want to do it on a period basis or a cohort basis? The, here, just to give you another example, uh, the red line, if this is for Japan, for men and women in Japan, the red line gives you ages of equivalent mortality when the chance of death is one in a thousand. And you can see uh, that in 1950, 
20-year-old Japanese had a chance of death of one in a thousand, and now it's age 40. So it's been a real, for the females. And it's similar for the males, but for a different pattern, with a different pattern. So there's been a real rapid change in the age in which the chance of death is one in a thousand. If you look at the period, the age in which remaining uh, period life expectancy is 40, there's been a much more gradual shift. And if you look at the age in which cohort uh, life expectancy is 40, it's higher and an even more smooth transition. I don't want to dwell on this, and I'm going to skip over the next two slides, but I just want to say that there's, been, there's some interesting work being done in Vienna. They're using life expectancy as their measure of equivalent age, and I'm going to use mortality as a measure of equivalent age. So I'll skip these two. Now, here we have looking at mortality as a measure of equivalent age and, and looking at two uh, mortality statistics, namely X1, the age in which your chance of death is 1%, and X10, the age in which your chance of death is 10%. And this is for the UK, females and males, 1960, uh, X1 and X10. So for females in the UK in 1960, your chance of death was 1% at age 59. For men, it was 1% at age 51. But if you look at the older people, X10, the age when your chance of death was 10% in 1960, uh, was 81 for females and 78 for males, so less of a gap. What happened between 1960 and now? Okay, so for the females, X1 went from 59 to 67, an eight-year delay of senescence. And X10 went to, from 81 to 88, a seven-year delay in senescence. For the men, there was an eight, similarly an eight-year delay in X1 and a seven-year delay in X10. So similar pattern for both the men and the women, and this postponement of senescence uh, by seven or eight years. The, the, uh, for France, well, look, France in 1960 was the same as the UK in 1960, according to these two measures. So French women who were 59 had the same health as UK women who were 59, as measured by the, that their chance of death was 1%. How did the French do? Well, they did better. They did better for the women, and they did about the same, a little bit better for the men. But I think it's quite a remarkable postponement of senescence. The, the, uh, the US, well, the US was also the same ballpark in 1960, and the US did worse. About the same in some cases, but worse in other cases. The Japan, it's amazing how close these countries were in 1960. Japan doing a little bit worse, but of course, in terms of improvements, Japan did considerably better. I mean, same ballpark, but better. Look at Russia. Russia, UK 59, Russia 58. UK 81, Russia 82. UK 51, Russia 80. UK 78, Russia 78. So Russia was very similar to the UK in 1960 in terms of these measures. And of course, Russia didn't do so well. Uh, for the females, the uh, X1 stayed the same at 58, and for the, uh, even at age X10, it stayed the same at 82, and for the men, X1 fell from 50 to 43, so 43-year-old Russian men now have a 1% chance of death, and uh, it stayed the same at 78 for, at uh, X10. And then finally, here's Belarus. So in 1960, 
you can see Belarus was actually doing remarkably well. And sometimes people forget, but the Eastern European countries uh, were doing very well in 1960 compared to the West European, Western European countries. But, but Belarus has also fallen uh, behind uh, about as much, even worse than Russia. So we can use mortality as getting some hint as to the health conditions in different countries. Uh, now this is complicated. It's too complicated. I'll, I'll show you this one. It says, the, 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 I don't have time to go through all this stuff. We'll have questions later. But what, what I wanted to do, uh, well, I'll go back. Okay, I'll, I'll try to explain it to you. So, so, so the, 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 how do you measure somebody's health? And in these surveys, they ask people questions. So, you know, uh, how would you rate your health? And, and have you had this disease or that disease? Or can you do this? Can you do that? And uh, it's very subjective. And people in different countries answer these questions differently. And, and Italians are more optimistic and the Swedes are more pessimistic. So, so, they, so uh, survey researchers have tried to find some measure of health that's objective. And the, the single most objective measure that's been found is grip strength. So you give somebody a meter and they pull this meter and how, how much grip strength do you have? And it turns out this is a good predictor of subsequent life expectancy and, sub and mortality. Um, the, the, uh, so on the top, we have the uh, grip strength. M is, this, is the value of the measure. So the grip strength at x10, the grip strength at x1. So, and then we have this for different countries, for the United States, for SHARE, which is a survey for all of Europe, and then for different countries in Europe. And you can see, if you look across the top, that grip strength uh, at, at age uh, X1 for the blue, that's the males, that generally occurs around age 50. They have a, you have a grip strength of something like 46, 47, around age 50. And then by the time you get to be older, when, at age X10, which is around age 85 or so, your grip strength is considerably lower. And the same, same pattern for the females, you have a higher grip strength at X1 and a lower grip strength at X2. But what I wanted to show you is that the, the different countries vary a little bit, but they don't vary a whole lot. They're mainly around the same line. And if you look at the ratio of grip strength at X1 to grip strength at X10, how much grip strength you lose from the time your mortality hits 1% to the time your mortality hits 10%, how much higher it is when your mortality is 1% than when it's 10%. You can see men and women, in the top part of the graph, men are, have much greater grip strength than women, even though they have higher mortality. So we have to correct for this. But if you look in the bottom part of the graph, if you look at relative grip strength, you can see that the men and women in most of the countries are pretty close, and that all of the countries are pretty close, that the ratio of grip strength at age X1 to the value at age X10 is something between 1.4 and 1.5 between most of these countries. So, so grip strength seems to be consistent with mortality, the level of mortality. And, the, and you can see that also here in the bottom of the diagram we have Q, which is the probability of death, and on the vertical axis we have standardized grip strength, and we standardize it so that uh, countries have a value of uh, the standardized grip strength measure is zero at age X1, and it's one at age X10, and then we plot the different curves. And after you standardize men and women, uh, and you, uh, this is just for women, but after you do the standardization, the pattern of change over age is pretty, uh, you know, pretty linear. And, the, and here we have men and women 
for, and for European males and US males. And we have four different measures of health. So one measure of health is physical health, which is measured by the script strength. And then there's cognitive uh, health measured by various questions about if you can remember things and what day is it and where are you and things like that. And then, then uh, well, what day is it? <laughs> okay. Uh, where are you? Okay. But anyway, the, the, uh, and, and then, then uh, activity limitations. Can you take care of yourself and need help in doing basic activities of daily life? And then uh, perceived uh, disability. Do, do, you, do you consider yourself healthy or do you consider yourself unhealthy? And, and you can see that both for the men and for the women, uh, in, both in Europe and the United States, all of these curves, you know, if you take your bifocals off, they're roughly linear, they go up about the same. So, so, that, so that mortality roughly captures, the increase in mortality roughly captures the decline in various measures of health. Now, what I want to turn to now is something completely different. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll uh, want to step back and, and explain this to you carefully. So up until now, I've been arguing that the uh, one way to try to compare the health of two different populations is to look at mortality at some particular level, like 1%. So, so look at the age in which mortality is 1% in one population and the age in which mortality is 1% in another population, and then use those ages as equivalent ages. And as I pointed out before, according to this, 70 is the new 59 for France. Um, so suppose we, instead of looking at data just for recent populations, we wanted to look at the long-term evolution of mortality for humans. Uh, well, then you, we might want to go back to uh, what mortality was like when, uh, you know, several thousand years ago. And we're doing research based on skeletal data to try to reconstruct mortality several thousand years ago. But it's, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to get an unbiased sample of skeletal remains and there's problems with migration and in and out migration. There's problems with age estimation. So, so another way of doing this is to study the mortality of hunter-gatherers. So people who are alive today, who live lives that are somewhat similar to the life that humans lived a long time ago. And uh, Mike Gervin and Hilly Kaplan uh, devoted a massive amount of effort to trying to compile data on all the hunter-gatherer studies that had been done, all the hunter-gatherer groups that had been uh, studied. And they produced a, a hunter-gatherer mortality trajectory. Uh, and, and this is and they smoothed it using something called a Seiler curve. And they, this is the hunter-gatherer mortality trajectory. And the, the horizontal line is the line of lowest mortality. And what I want to point out here is that this line of lowest mortality is about 1%. So even at age 12, hunter-gatherers had something like a 12% chance of, 1% uh, chance of death. And the other thing I want to point out is, is it's pretty flat, right? The, the, uh, the, it doesn't change very much between 10, or 8 or 10, and 30. And for some of the hunter-gatherer uh, tribes, actually, uh, mortality, the lowest point of the mortality curve is after 30, it's about 32. For other, for other groups, it's 10, 11. But on average, it's very flat during this period from roughly 8 to 30. 
and then it starts going up. So, so we decided to, uh, to use this hunter-gatherer mortality trajectory as a comparative baseline and to try to look at modern human experience compared to the hunter-gatherers to get a long-term evolutionary perspective on aging. And so here is the hunter-gatherers compared to Swedes. And the, the earliest curve for Sweden is 1750, and then we have a curve every 10 years. They're not labeled, but you can guess that the higher curves are the earlier years and the most recent curves are the lowest ones. And it's on a log scale. So you can see that there's really been massive improvements in mortality over since 1750. And the, the, uh, there's a pile up here with it between 1750 and 1900. There was an improvement, but it was not a whole lot of improvement. Uh, the, the, uh, when you, if you view it this way, right? And then, but after 1950, the, the last, uh, I mean, after 1900, the last 10 curves, you can see that there's really been a major change. So there's been a massive change in human death rates, especially at the lowest, uh, at the younger ages since 1900. And the, the, so, and how much should we expect that change to be? How much would you have expected that change to be? So the, the reason this is important is that from an evolutionary point of view, what's important is not how long somebody lives or how many babies the person has, it's the expected number of babies the person has. So something called fitness, which is your expected fertility. And that's a, that depends on age-specific fertility, also depends on age-specific mortality. So evolution does not maximize longevity, evolution maximizes expected fertility. That's what evolution optimizes. And if you want to optimize, if you're Mother Nature and you want to optimize expected fertility, you should try to bring death rates down as much as you can at the start of re the reproductive period. Uh, because if you lose someone at the start of the reproductive period, then you've lost all remaining reproduction of that person. Whereas if somebody dies at age 45 or 50, you lose very little uh, reproduction. And if somebody dies at age zero, then or let's say at age one, then you've only invested one year of societal resources in the person instead of having invested 15 years of societal resources in the person. So there's a, a strong evolutionary pressure to reduce mortality as much as possible at the age at which uh, fertility starts. And you can see that this massive reduction in mortality since 1900, oh, since 1750, but especially since 1900, at the biggest change has been at the age when fertility starts. So Mother Nature tried to do her best, tried to minimize mortality at this age, and you can see that from the black curve, that's the point where the mortality is minimum. But through non-genetic change, through environmental and behavioral change, we've, been ma we've managed to reduce mortality at that age by a factor of more than 100, which is really amazing. I mean, you would not have expected this based on biological theory, evolutionary theory. So here, so here's the, 72 is the new 30, okay? <laughs> 70 is not the new 59, 72 is the new 30. So the, the uh, so on the, the panel on the left, we, we have uh, very, various populations. So Japan in 2010 is this red line in the bottom, and Japan in 1947 is the, the 
dashed red line. And then Sweden 2010 is the blue line on the bottom. And Sweden, Sweden 1900 is the, there's a dotted and dashed line for Sweden in 1900, in, in, in the 1800. And then our hunter-gatherers are the black line. And then th there are acculturated hunter-gatherers. So these are hunter-gatherers who have some contact with the outside world. And that's the uh, dashed black line. And then the, the uh, Maybe somebody will produce an even more horrific uh, life table, but the, the worst one we could find was for slaves on Trinidad and uh, in the late uh, 1700s. And the, the slaves on Trinidad, are, they're, they're given by, the, by these uh, diamond, black diamonds. And you can see very high mortality. And then finally, and this is politically very incorrect, but we're going to compare humans with chimpanzees. So, so we have wild chimps and captive chimps, and those are the green lines. Um, and so I'm going to come back to this later, but you can just look at this and see that up until 1900 or so, uh, humans were... The, the, the humans, which are represented by the black curve and all the, all the, not the bottom two curves, but the other curves, the human experience was fairly similar to the chimp experience. And our experience today is further away. So, so what, humans today are more different from our ancestors 100 years ago than our ancestors 100 years ago were from chimps in terms of our mortality experience. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> okay. Now, the, the, uh, it's hard to know what to make of this, but, but the, from an evolutionary point of view, this is very important. See, the, 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 the reason I'm excited about it is because um, it, it highlights uh, the enormous sea change that has taken place in the last hundred years in mortality that we've distanced ourselves more from our ancestors than our ancestors distanced themselves from chimpanzees, our nearest relatives. And if you look at the, the diagram, on the other diagram here, we have equivalent ages. So let me go through this slowly because it's a very interesting diagram. The, the, the uh, x-axis is hunter-gatherer age. And then the vertical axis is the equivalent age of different populations. So using the same idea we had before, Two ages are equivalent if there's the same level of mortality. And if you go up to the top of the diagram and, and look at the, the, the 72 and 30, which is where the title comes, 72 is the new 30. So modern Japanese today, at age 72, suffer the same death rate that hunter-gatherers suffer at age 30. Um, and the... the uh, if you go down into the bottom part of the diagram, you, you can see the, what, the, what the equivalent ages are for uh, hunter-gatherers and chimpanzees. So th there is a gap. I mean, I, I don't want to say that chimpanzees and hunter-gatherers are the same. So hunter-gatherers who are 71 have the same uh, death rate as chimpanzees have when they're 30. So there is a gap between hunter-gatherers and chimpanzees. But the gap is smaller than the gap between our ancestors and us today. The, so here's a, a picture of the ratio of mortality improvements. So, the, so again, let's go through this carefully. The, the blue line on the top is the ratio of hunter-gatherer mortality to Swedish mortality in 2010. And it's by age. And you can see that between ages, 
well, from just after birth until almost age 20, the hunter-gatherers have 100, 200 times higher mortality than Swedes do today. The ratio is something like 100. And the red is hunter-gatherers to Japan, and the same thing, 100, 200 times higher mortality. So that's what I was showing you before, this enormous reduction in mortality at younger ages. And then if you follow the curves down, you can see that there's less reduction at higher and higher ages, but even at age 80, it's something like a five-fold, roughly, uh, difference between hunter-gatherers and modern humans. Then you can compare hunter-gatherers, the next blue line is labeled 1950, so that's hunter-gatherers compared to Swedes in 1950, and then the bottom blue line is hunter-gatherers compared to Swedes in 1900. And there again, I want to emphasize that the hunter-gatherers had about twice the mortality of Swedes, twice the death rate of Swedes in 1900. It's fairly constant across the age range. And then in 1950, we started to get these big improvements. But after 1950, we got these enormous improvements. This is on a log scale, you see. There's 20 and then there's 200. So there's been enormous improvement since 1900, and particularly since 1950. I mean, within my lifetime, there's been enormous improvement. The, if you look at the wild chimpanzees to the hunter-gatherers, that's the black curve. And you can see that the, the chimpanzees have three, four, five times the chance of death at any age as the hunter-gatherers. So, so again, the, at, at older ages, the, the difference between the chimpanzees and hunter-gatherers is about the same as, as us and our ancestors. But at younger ages, it's a vastly, where vast, you know, our chance of death at younger ages is vastly different uh, from the hunter-gatherers. And another way to see this is that uh, we have time on the x-axis, on the horizontal axis, from 1750 to the present. And then the uh, mortality uh, improvement so the, as measured by minimum mortality over the course of the lifetime. So, so what we did is we looked at the life course and found the age at which mortality was minimum, which is usually something like 10 or 15. And for the hunter-gatherers, uh, that level is a little bit more than 1%. And then the, 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 the dashed lines represent the standard error, how much variance there is among hunter-gatherer, uh, uh, different hunter-gatherer tribes. And, and in, in the uh, Sweden, for Sweden, and later on we have data for France, and for Sweden and France, up until 1900, it's the uh, lowest level of mortality was, was lower than the hunter-gatherer level, but not a whole lot lower. And then, again, starting around 1900, you see this dramatic decline so that recently the chance of death at, at the age in which mortality is lowest is 1 in 10,000 for humans uh, today, where it was 1% uh, in uh, humans uh, for, for hunter-gatherers and close to 1% historically for humans. So the, if you look at the chimpanzees, the chimpanzees, their lowest level of mortality is up there. It's about 5%, uh, 4%, I think. And then in the hunter-gatherers, so there's about 6.6 .6 million years that separate us from our common ancestor. So over a period of 6.6 .6 million years, there was that change in the minimum level of mortality. And then from the, if you look at the Sweden, France, and Japan, this enormous change mainly took place over the last 150 years, and in fact, mainly particularly over the last 100 years. So, so we've done in 150 years or 
it depends on what you want to say, 250 years, 150 years, something like that. We've done more in that short period of time than evolution did in 6.6 .6 million years. So, uh, I want to make sure I finished on time and left time for discussion, so I, I timed my talk to be a little bit shorter than it was budgeted. But, the, but let me just briefly uh, uh, summarize the main results and, and point out some of the interesting research questions that have to be answered. So, the, the question is, can we use the notion of equivalent age to shed light on health conditions? And can we uh, take and in, in terms of thinking about equivalent ages, how should we think about equivalent age? So the, the method that I emphasized was to think about ages in which the chance of death is the same. So the age when the chance of death is 1%, and I defined that as the start of old age, and the age in which the chance of death is 10%, and I defined that as the start of advanced old age. In terms of the hunter-gatherers, the, the age in which the chance of death was 1% was the lowest chance of death at any age, so it was 12 Right? And then, uh, more recently, as I showed you for French men and women, uh, 50 years ago, the chance of death was 1% at age 59, and now the chance of death is 1% at age 70. So it goes from 12 to 59 to 70, from hunter-gatherers to people 50 years ago to people today. If you take ages of equivalent mortality, and you look at health statistics at those ages, and we were able to look at four measures of health, measure of physical health, measure of cognitive health, measure of activity limitation, and a measure of self-perceived health. The, it turns out that these levels vary between men and women. And men, for example, have greater grip strength than women do, mainly because we're bigger. And they vary from country to country, in part because people are bigger in some countries than they are in other countries. But if you standardize uh, so that you uh, standardize by the level at the age in which the chance of death is 1%, and then you look at the pattern thereafter at higher ages, the, the trajectory of these measures of health pretty much follows the trajectory of mortality. So at least in terms of those measures, and at least recently, mortality does appear to be a pretty good measure of health. Um, we need more data on this. We only have limited data. We need more data that goes back longer periods of time. And uh, we need some measure of health that we could study for 50 or 100 years that we could compare with mortality over 50 or 100 years. And we haven't been able to find anything so far. So if anybody knows of something that we could use, then I'd be very happy to talk with you about that. Uh, we might be able to use stature or some, something like that as a measure of, indirect measure of health and see how that works. And uh, we might be able to use something like IQ. There's been this steady increase in IQ as, as mortality has gone down, as life expectancy has gone up, IQ has gone up. So an IQ might be a, some rough measure of health. But, but we, need, we need some measures of health that we could use over long periods of time. But uh, just to see how far we could go, uh, we decided to just be very brave and try to look at very, very long periods of time from hunter-gatherers to today and compare us with chimpanzees. And, the, and it, the, uh, even though we don't know for sure that a... Uh, a 30-year hunter-gatherer has the same health as a 72-year-old person today. There's some indication that the mortality is about the same and maybe the health is about the same. Uh, so so it, it does seem to set, shed some sort of light on uh, long-term trends in, in health. Uh, 
We're celebrating Grant today, but another famous uh, researcher who contributed to mortality is Gompertz, and, and Benjamin Gompertz argued that the, your health uh, could be measured by your ability to withstand destruction. That was the phrase, ability to withstand destruction. And then he measured the ability to withstand destruction by death rate, by mortality. So Gompertz argued that death rates were a good measure of health. So, so this is a long, this is a long tradition. It goes back to 1823. And so I'd really like to hear your comments and opinions about this and, and uh, whether or not we can make some progress by using age, uh, equivalent age of mortality as a way, way of getting some insight into health conditions. Okay, thank you very much. fascinating, provocative, and, and exciting. Um, I will remind you that uh, it was Bob Fogel who coined the phrase technophysio evolution yeah, 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 yeah. to describe, in some ways, a similar process mm -hmm. that you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And I think, certainly from the perspective of an economic historian, of course, the, the, it's in a sense the next question, which is interesting, is why? Mm -hmm. Why has this happened? Yeah. And quite what it is about the change in standard of living, nutrition, and so on mm -hmm. over the past hundred years that has produced yeah. this change. Anyway, that's hogging the questions. Who would like to? No, but let me let me say I yes. agree. I mean, Fogel deserves a lot of credit, and and, and Fogel's students too, and people who worked with Fogel. So the 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 the, the, the uh, this whole revolution in which people's stature and pe people's health have, have, have improved, which has led to increased prosperity because people can work harder and produce more, and which has led to improvements in health. I mean, th th this must underlie this in, in some sense. And, the, and it really supports uh, the work of, of Fogel and his school because it, it shows that there was very little change for a really long time. In fact, all the way back to chimpanzees. Uh, and then there was this rapid, amazingly rapid change over the last well, it depends on what you look at, but the last 50 years or the last mm. 250 years, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Lots of questions. Yes, right at the back, James. Um, Alan Hill, Southampton. Um, Jim, you've sort of ignored the direct measurement of morbidity, and we've got quite a lot of, apart from grip strength, other measures of uh, morbidity that yeah. go back over several decades okay. now. Um, if you did, instead of using the relative age idea, if you just looked at, say, the proportion of people who were able to look after themselves, 10% versus 50% mm -hmm. or something like that, would the picture change, or do you, are you confident yeah. enough with your indirect estimation? Sort of? Yeah, the, 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 we need better data. So if you have a good source of data on what percentage of people need help in taking care of themselves that goes back 50 years, please tell me, send, send it to me. Uh, comparable data. but but. Uh, We've tried hard, and uh, uh, the uh, Health and Retirement Survey goes back 20 years, and so we've looked at the Health and Retirement Survey, and the uh, uh, equivalent age is a better predictor of health than actual age over this 20-year period of the Health and Retirement Survey, using different measures. They have a lot of different measures in, in terms of all the measures that we looked at. But it's only a 20-year period, so we'd like to have a longer period. We're, we're, trying, we're beginning to analyze data from the Framingham study, which goes back 60 years, um, and uh, to see whether we can you know, pick this up in terms of much longer-term data. But the, just to expand a little bit on your question, the, uh, 
and also there was a question before about how the decline in, in mortality affected morbidity and health. The, it's a complicated issue because as people live longer, the reason people are living longer is because they're getting, one of the main reasons people are living longer is they're getting better care. So, for example, people have pacemakers. People take cholesterol-reducing drugs. People take drugs to reduce high blood pressure. So many more people who have heart disease are alive today than would have been alive 50 years ago. But they're alive. They're not dead. So their health has improved. Uh, but the, 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 the uh, so, so, so even though the prevalence of heart disease is higher, that's not a sign of uh, defeat, it's a sign of victory. Uh, the, the, and you have to control for that. And so so that, that would be the same thing if we look at these long-term time series, we have to take into account, if we measure, if we tried to measure health by the prevalence of heart disease, we'd find that health is getting worse, but we have to correct for, we have to include the third state of health, namely dead, in, in the analysis. And the, the, the other thing is that there are conditions that affect health uh, like arthritis, for example, that don't have a major effect on mortality. So, so it could be that, that uh, as people are living longer, they have more arthritis, or, or another condition, bifocals. You know, as people are living longer, more and more people wear bifocals. So their health is worse in some sense, because they have arthritis, so they wear bifocals. Um, or they may have to have cataract surgery. Um, so health is getting worse in some sense, but that's not really a, the most important indicator of health. Um, and although arthritis can be a major problem. The, so, so that's why we, we decided to focus on uh, can you take care of yourself? Uh, can you remember where you are? Uh, do you have uh, physical limitations? I mean, can you, can you, do you have any grip strength? And uh, how do you feel about your health as, as really primary indices of health? But, but I, so it's... So it's a very complicated question, and, I, and also I want to emphasize that the health of women is different from the health of men, as I tried to show, and, and the, the uh, people in Spain have, don't have as much grip strength as people in Denmark. So, so, so this is the start of a big research project, but, 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 I, but I, I would, I'd like to argue that equivalent age of mortality is a, is a serviceable, if rough, measure of health. Well, we need data, so if you have some data, tell us about the data, okay? <laughs> yeah. Um, Hillary Potts. Um, I was interested in these data about the hunter-gatherers, and I was wondering which populations had been um, selected yeah. um, for this wonderful improvement over 150 years yeah. in their mortality rates. Um, that must include the inhabitants of Tasmania who were completely wiped out, <laughs> um, <laughs> and know. Australian <laughs> Aborigines who yeah, yeah, sure. aren't in that great shape either. No, I, the, the, uh, I'm not an expert on Hunt Together, so we used uh, data that were published by Kaplan and Gervin. And they, what they did is they, um, there were a number of studies uh, done in recent decades, for example, of the Ache, uh, group of hunter-gatherers called the Ache, and uh, they took the best of these studies and put them together. But I don't know the details, so it's, it's Gervin and Kaplan, Population Development Review a few years ago. But on, but on the same theme, I think yeah. you need to be very
careful how you interpret those data yeah. on hunter-gatherers, because hunter-gatherers have been marginalised by farmers. Yeah. You know, they tend to live in deserts or on the edge of ice caps, mm. or where they don't live in the savannah where mm. they evolve, they don't live on the coast, they don't live in the fertile crescent. And I think, you know, the only hunter-gatherers we've got data on are the plantation slaves of hunter-gatherers, if you like. Mm. So I think if we could go back and collect data on hunter-gatherers of 10,000 years ago, I suspect they'd look much more like your 18th century Swedish farmers than they do your chimpanzees. And that's really quite possibly quite misleading. And, yeah. and on the health issue, of course, in addition, insofar as injuries are a major cause of death for hunter-gatherers rather than disease, yeah. the, the relationship between health and mortality will vary. None of which affects the more important conclusion, which is something remarkable to happen in yeah. the last 150 yeah. <laughs> years. But let me, let me, let me, Point well taken, but let, let me uh, make a counter-argument. The, the hunter-gatherers that uh, Gervin and Kaplan studied have a life expectancy of a little over 30, 31, I th as I remember. And uh, there's evidence from uh, studies of, of uh, skeletal data, uh, paleopathological studies of skeletal data that suggest that life expectancy in the distant past may not have been 30, it may have been 20. 223, 24, something like that. Um, so the hunter-gatherers may actually be benefiting a little bit from some minor contact with modern society. Uh, so the, the hunter-gatherer uh, mortality may actually be uh, lower than the mortality of people who lived 5,000 years ago or 10,000 years ago. The, 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 the skeletal data, which are, are very problematic, but the skeletal data uh, suggest a lower life expectancy than the hunter-gatherer data suggest. Um, so I, I think Swedish farmers in the 18th century were closer to hunter-gatherers than they are today, than they are to us. But, but yeah. <laughs> uh, yes. right. I mean, there is a lot, quite a lot of work um, on a related area to uh, how close you are to, to death, your status, because yeah. which is proximity to death studies. There's a, this has been going on for many, many years, and one of the st stylized facts is that age doesn't matter. It's only proximity to death which matters for your health care costs. Yeah. Um, but those, uh, the two limitations of that, firstly, you miss out all the, the, the poor health you get in the intervening period, mm. and these also substantially underestimate the low level. I mean, for example, the social care is still very heavily age-dependent. Mm -hmm. It's not particularly dependent on... Proximity to death is simply an indicator of how, far, how close you are to the end. Mm -hmm. And that's simply, you know, that's... Uh, so, I mean, those studies are, a lot of them, on service use and, and sort of health status as well. So, I mean, that would just be another source which would add in a lot yeah, of data. Yeah, that's a very good uh, point, Mike. The, the, but the, as I showed you... Uh, let me see if I can go back here. Go oh, here. Oops, sorry. The, the period of life in which healthcare is really important is the period of life in brown at the top of this diagram, the period of life from the age in which your chance of death is 10% to when you finally die. And you can see that that period of disability, not everybody's disabled, but most people are disabled in, at that age range, that period of disability has been pushed back to higher and higher ages so, so that the... Uh, if you measure healthcare costs in terms of time to death, which is, you're absolutely right, that's the, it's a 
much better indicator than age, you can see that time to death is being pushed back, uh, being pushed back a lot. So, so this is another, I think this is another argument. I mean, your point is another argument for using equivalent age. Yeah. 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 Your result that's up there in the graph of this sort of near constancy of expectation of life once yeah. you've reached 10% probability yeah. of dying seems to be, I mean, is that a, a new result and how constant is it across different populations, not yeah. only Asian sex in Western Europe, but in other populations? Yeah. And how reliable is it? I imagine it would have great use in modeling. Okay. The, the, uh, it's a new result in the sense that this is the first audience I've ever shown this to. Uh, so it's new for me to show it to anybody else. And, the, the, uh, and this audience is the audience that could tell me whether this is a new result, because I'm not sure this is a new result. The, but I, I did, uh, I used the human mortality database and I went back to Sweden in 1750 and back to France in 1840, whatever it is. And it's for, I haven't done as much research as I should do, but at least for over this long period of time for France and over this long period of time for Sweden and both for men and for women, it's roughly six years, rough, roughly. It, it, got, it got a little bit shorter. It used to be more like seven, now it's six. Um, so, and, and you can see, if you look at these different countries, it's all roughly six, um, and, uh, but it's a little bit higher. So Belarus was 6.7 and Russia was 7.1. And as I said, Sweden and France, if you go back historically, you get numbers more like seven than you do like six. But, but I, it, it may be a, you know, one of these rough demographic constants that, that uh, help us understand mortality better. D does anybody know if anybody else has done this? Hey, it's new. Okay. <laughs> of course, in another way, the mortality statistics which you're using probably actually underestimate the improvement in health, yeah. don't they? Because I mean, the, one of the lessons from the Union Army data, which Bob Fogland, Dora Costa and others have used, is that people even 50 or 75 or 100 years ago were suffering from far more chronic diseases mm -hmm than today. I mean, people were being crippled by hernias at much earlier ages. Mm -hmm. Many of those kinds of diseases simply couldn't be treated in the way that they can now. Mm -hmm. So we're actually healthier, even in a sense, at constant mortality levels than we were a hundred years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah, so that, and did, I, I don't remember the details, but the hernia was a major source of death, wasn't it? No, no, it wasn't a source, no, source of death. No, 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 not a source not of death at all. At all. No. It was just a source of discomfort. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And it didn't. It didn't speed up the uh, aging process. It didn't well, reduce the life expectancy. It, it certainly reduced earning power. Yeah. Uh, so you can conceive that it might reduce life expectancy that way, but, but, but not directly. Okay, so it's more like arthritis, a, yes, a very annoying exactly. condition. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I would agree, as I mentioned arthritis before, but we should also take into account things like hernia. That mm. the the, the Health is multi-dimensional. I mean, the, you can think of many different facets of health, and uh, it'll undoubtedly turn out that some dimensions of health are not associated with mortality, mm. and other dimensions of health are deeply 
correlated with mortality. And so we'd have to have to work that out, in, including working out the difference between men and women, you know, why, why the health of women is less associated with, with death rates than the mortality of men. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, than the health of men, yeah. Any more questions? Yes. Well, thank you very much, Jim. It's very, very interesting. I just wanted to, um, you showed some results for Denmark based on um, other sources which suggest improvements in yeah. disability-free life or healthy life expectancy. But as you know, there, lot, there are a lot of, um, there's a huge debate about this in other countries yeah. that show different trends yeah, and so yeah. forth. But I wondered more generally whether your rough sort of definition you're giving us of um, being able to take care of yourself, mm. which might be that threshold, but of course, that, that's changed. So if you were a hunter-gatherer, taking care of yourself presumably yeah. involves being able to run 10 miles or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, even 30 years ago, taking care of yourself would involve having to make a fire, you know, do lots of things, which not now. So in a way, you can't... It's quite hard to take out of it that... Um, uh, what you might call the supportive care, the, the mm -hmm. communal or the family thing that makes up that deficit and presumably in hunter-gatherers didn't for you know important reasons yes. whereas now it does and I mean I'm just wondering whether you can factor that in in some way yeah you're right and, and uh, we've looked at some data for China very old people in China and uh, the, the very old people in China are better able to take care of themselves than very old people in Sweden for example probably because they went to live to very old age if they hadn't been able to take care of themselves. So, so, um, so I agree, Emily. And, and the, the, I've really wrestled with this and, and I've had long discussions with Cor Christensen and other epidemiologists about this and uh, medical doctors. And of course, medical doctors see health as a very complicated uh, phenomenon and they see all these different complications. And, uh, but I, and I agree. Health is a very, very complicated phenomenon. The, just like um, uh, level of prosperity is a very complicated phenomenon. But, but economists measure this by GNP per capita or GDP per capita. Okay, it's a rough, rough approximation, but you get some headway. You can compare populations. And uh, so my argument is that we can do some rough comparisons of populations using mortality as a measure of health. And in, in that regard, I, uh, this is why I mentioned Gompertz at the end. I really like Gompertz's uh, definition that the basic uh, element of health, the, the core of health, is the ability to withstand destruction. And what could be more important than that? And, and that's measured by your chance of death. Um, Thank you very much indeed. Yeah, well, thank you. For all information, please visit www.gresham.ac.uk.